0: You did that for me. You were willing. You knew that's what was going to happen to you and you said, yes, I want to do it for Bill Blatty.
1: Good evening and welcome to Midnight Video's Doomsday Clock. Concluding our countdown
0: of cult cuts with your host, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, with the hands poised at one minute to midnight, our final show has author William Peter Blatty taking to the director's chair to revisit his infamous creation in not quite what the audience's expected sequel, The Exorcist 3. <laughs>
1: So there's a, a beautiful symmetry in the way that things have come full circle. Uh, midnight video number one. We had three choice films, but
0: North Sea Hijack,
1: bad taste, and
0: the ninth configuration, which has been quite a popular. One,
1: yeah, by Peter Blatty, like William Peter Blatty, who just knocked us for six. Certainly not Jim for six back in the day, and me later on. And, and yeah, well, a few
0: of you since actually, um, yeah, no, right. it's fantastic because I think a lot of people hadn't heard of that film and have gone out and checked it out. Right, and it's well worth a look.
1: As is this one, which we're about to do now. So, The Exorcist Three, based on Blatty's book Legion, Legion, yes, which
0: I haven't read, and also uh, kind of trying to vanquish the memories of Exorcist 2 the Heretic. <laughs> The, uh, the 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 effort which well, is what it was called officially on post the, the, Borman, the effort. Borman effort <laughs> after the born supremacy <laughs> anyway let's not dilly dally this is yeah this is the last of our uh, last of our doomsday clocks so um, let's get ready for the end it's one minute to midnight It's all going to go off.
1: On the entrance exam for new policemen,
0: they ask, what are rabies and what would you do for them? Ryan said, rabies are Jewish priests and I would do anything I possibly could for them. George C. Scott is a cop, Ed Flanders is a priest. The wisecracking pair have plenty in common, such as their love of vintage movies, and they're both being present when Linda Blair had all that possession trouble 15 years back. The friends are also haunted by the death of Father Damien Karras. But when a spate of victims turn up displaying an all-too-familiar M.O., Scott fears that he may also be haunted in a less metaphorical sense by long-dead serial murderer, the Gemini Killer. The Gemini Killer. He kills Geminis. <laughs> he wasn't very keen on... Um, what was that bloody film we reviewed? Oh, Gem... Uh, goodbye, Gemini. Oof. The
1: twins. That sucked ass. <laughs> it wasn't very good. But the Gemini Killer was a real... A serial killer in the states, and David Fincher made a much celebrated film called Zodiac, which was based on the same. You're looking at me a bit astonished. Yeah. No? no, I knew
0: Zodiac was based on a real killer. I didn't know he was known as the Gemini Killer. It's the I same thought, one. Yeah, they, oh, wow. they've used
1: the same basis.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to reassess re, uh, all of the notes I've made. For this. <laughs> That was
1: something I read yesterday, I think. I didn't realise that at first. Um, it used the same thing where the police and the press... Well, the police had suppressed certain yes, information yeah. to
0: hide the reality yeah, of certain situations. To, to stop cases claiming responsibility. Basically. So things were given like, almost in mirror information, weren't they? That's it, yeah.
1: Ah. And this is, in some ways, is a bit like Zodiac because it's a very well-made film. I remember when we did the ninth configuration. You had certain uh, misgivings about Blatty as a director, um, stylistically.
0: Yeah, there were misgivings, but they were very much what can I say? Wrapped up in the the idea. I loved the fact that he wasn't that brilliant a director. He hadn't. Um, he was doing something in a very raw. I'm going to say almost a fanzine way. The mm. purity of what he, the enthusiasm that he had, mean that even. Uh, meant that even though the film itself in my opinion is a bit shonky that doesn't matter the purity of intent really comes out in it this is a much slicker film and uh, yeah like you say uh, like you said in the introduction I'm very glad we're finishing off with it because yeah there's a nice symmetry to that Um, when I first saw the ninth configuration in 99 I remember this coming on tv a little while later And I was desperate to see it. And I remember videoing it, thinking this is going to be every bit as good as... Well, not every bit as good as Ninth Configuration, but it's going to be worthwhile watching. I remember finding it quite disappointing back then. And I'm not really sure why I thought that now. (laughs) Watching it again some 10 years later, there are massive, massive parallels with the ninth Configuration. And it's not just that a lot of the same cast are in there. Ed Flanders, who is brilliant in the Ninth Configuration, is brilliant in this, although he has a, a much... Well, a reduced role, but it's very a very significant role. Scott Wilson, who's again absolutely fantastic in ninth configuration, a much more minor role in this, but still really good. I mean, and George C. Scott, who you've probably seen in all sorts of films, you've not really seen him like this before.
1: No, I mean we saw him in the Formula yes. for Midnight Video, yes. uh, Double Denim.
0: Yeah, <laughs> with um, uh, with your man. Richard Lynch, who died recently, yeah, the Configuration,
1: yeah. God, yeah, poor yeah. old Lynchie. Um, but sorry, just to backtrack a little bit there because I I tried to bring in the Fincher thing, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Zodiac killer, the Gemini killer, blah blah blah. You have an opening shot of Georgetown with people rowing, which reminded me of uh, Social Network. Was right. a big rowing scene in there. Yeah, because I think the stylistic jump. From the ninth conflict, which I thought stylistically was quite interesting, and
0: sorry, which I, film was? Uh,
1: in the Social Network, yeah. there's a big scene with yeah, yeah. rowers. Yes, um, but that's actually shot. Well, meant to be in the UK. Maybe it was shot there. I don't know. But I like that. I like the idea of someone as stylistically over as uh, Fincher, who a lot of you know he's made serial killer movies. And 2 I think, well there's 7
0: yes, and
1: this and you know he's one of those who's known for his particular style and I think this is a really remarkable it looks very good this film, out of all of those Exorcist movies I think this stands the test of time really um, I mean mm. Exorcist 2
0: it looks very much its time and, and is well, I think the soundtrack to that's <laughs> <it> does <laughs> a good job. But um, I, actually, I really should sit down and watch it again properly because I've not seen it for a long time. But it's purely made for cashing, isn't it? Yeah. You know? yeah. You you get the sense it's just an evil film, and not in a good way. That's it, totally. And also, Freaking's movie, which I love.
1: I really like The Exorcist. I think it's brilliant. But I can't help but feel that, again, it's very much it remains in that time it's in aspic yes <laughs> yeah, no I know what you mean I mean I, uh, <laughs> <it's>, um, <laughs> no, I mean I think it's
0: no I mean I respect the idea of the exorcist which is you know it's set in the modern world and it's trying it's going out of its way to try and look like a, a, a sort of verite thing and the idea is oh suddenly the supernatural is creeping into this you know um, the thing is because the 70s for people of our age you know there is a gap between us but yeah. We didn't grow up in the early seventies. That all looks quite alien to us, anyway. So.
1: That's the yeah. I think that's probably yeah, that's the yeah. nail on the head for me. Is that it's not a period that I went through or recognised. Whereas this was made in ninety, I think ninety one, yeah. Yeah. and it still feels very modern to me. Okay. I mean, it feels quite contemporary in the way it's shot, stylistic choices, the way it's edited, um, the the way it's cast. I mean, uh, the casting is absolutely superb i think it's one of the best casting uh choices that i've ever seen because there's so many sort of red herrings mm-hmm. in there yeah because of the way people look yes you led down certain garden paths and then you know you're led into an absolute nightmare then a big <laughs> pair of secateurs <laughs> yeah as we mentioned in uh, uh our very last episode of um Midnight video. Yeah, we that were that's a about. podcast we've been doing for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, oh, what was it called? Montenegro, where, what's she called? The actress.
0: Uh, I don't the actress, Marilyn Jordan's the character. In the <laughs> I like the way we remember the characters.
1: But <laughs> she had a pair of shears in there, which are, uh, they're not quite on a par with these uh, scissors. Spring
0: loaded. <laughs> um, yeah, a great thing for me with this is, well, it, it goes back to what I was saying. Exorcist 2, which, yeah, I should watch again if only because we're now such big fans of Burton although he's not without um, not without his uh, clunkers
1: no.
0: uh, but was p- that was purely you know, let's crank out another one that's pretty much the same kind of film and that's, that's what you'd expect an exorcist sequel to be it's the same girl who was possessed getting kind of possessed again one, that's a boring idea two, it kind of detracts from the ending of the first one where someone sacrificed their life to sort the situation out you know It takes away any of the triumph of that. I love the fact with this that it's nothing. It's it is directly connected to the Exorcist in lots of ways, but it's a totally different kind of story, isn't
1: Mm. it? Well, it's more in keeping as well, though. I think it's in keeping with it, and yeah, um, it's it's a lot about faith, about redemption. Um, It's it's big, heavy themes that Blatty is obviously obsessed with because he was brought up as in a Jesuit school, and you know these are like overriding factors in. Um, how he writes yeah. and how he views the world and the people around him and
0: his own self. Yeah, so, the theme is investigating throughout his work. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen on the ninth configuration video, there's a really lovely little featurette when Mark Kermode, who's you know, whatever else I think of him, is so passionate about Blatty's work that he's you know, really gone to town. He's a Blatty man. He's a Blatty man, yes. It's the same joke <laughs> all these years you've later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think he called it the trilogy of faith. I'm not sure if Blatt has ever said anything that that direct, but it starts with The Exorcist. It's not Exorcist two. Ninth Configuration is the second part, both of which are you know Exorcist. If you if you can believe the um, the devil exists in the real world, Ninth Configurations about could you believe God exists? And this third one, you know, The Exorcist three or Legion is the book is something else again, you know, but it's investigating a lot of the same kind of themes which is questioning how would you have faith in the modern world when everything around you you've got so much evidence that there's just suffering and it's random suffering why would you believe in any supernatural forces you know having any guidance in the world it's just a very old catholic question isn't it it's something it is. that's
1: um, you know if you've got any knowledge of being a catholic or growing up as in the in a catholic lifestyle or whatever it is that idea of this mighty being who would just let the world go to shit in that way. Yeah. And that's a real question of faith. That's the the the, 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 the tipping point. If God's all like powerful you give yourself powerful over to support. that or yeah.
0: you don't. Yeah, no. yeah it, it's why a lot of people would turn away from it, you know. Um, and a great thing with that that we, we sound quite Poncey talking about <laughs> <now>. <laughs> But the great thing in this is you've got Ed Flanders and George C. Scott who are a couple of guys, aren't they? You know, they go off to watch a wonderful life. They're big movie fans, you know. But there's a I think a lot of the Heaviest kind of theological discussions in this will be them sitting in like a, like a pizzeria or something or having coffee. And uh, Ed Flanders, who, despite the fact he's got a terrible kind of bubble perm yeah. in this, will counter all of George C. Scott's arguments. Who's uh, a best agnostic, isn't he? Yeah. In fact, a lot of his dialogue is very similar to the stuff that's in the Ninth Configuration. Mm. About it's usually about children suffering needlessly. How do you account for this if there's a god in the world? uh Flanders the man of faith the priest will say you know it all works out in the end and he'll say it with such casual confidence which i th- i'm I'm gonna say in the real world I'd absolutely dismiss someone who was that that confident but in this film it kind of works oh no it really does yeah i mean I think and it's a especially because flanders committed suicide, didn't he? Yes, yeah, so it's sort of there's a there's a bit of sweetness to it all. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But it's totally helped by those performances. I mean their their um their their chemistry is it's remarkable. I mean they deliver mm. the dialogue in I mean it's obviously written dialogue but they deliver it, it so it's yeah. so yeah it's so on the nail every time like the the comebacks and that it, it's it's like watching two performers at the peak of the powers in some ways.
0: Like um, who kind of been this and it done it all. You know, it's one of those performances. Yeah, I guess I it is weird because one of the things you'd always expect from horror films, and it's not just now. You know, given one of the more recent horror films I watched was Jennifer's Body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, going back through horror films, there's been a long tradition of its young people in peril, isn't it? The mm. fact that the protagonists in this are old blokes who've been there, seen it, and they have families. You know. they have. The people who'd usually be the protagonists are the daughters of these people, aren't they? And a lot of it's set in an old people's home or sort of an asylum, you know. I was watching this again today and thinking, would people feel a bit cheated if they went to see this? I don't think so. I mean, fuck them if they are, because yeah. it's a really good film. And I, it's so rare that you get a studio film where, even though this has got a very troubled history, which we'll talk about in a bit... Mm. Um, you could imagine someone from day one going, "No, no, no, make it kind of a will remake of The Exorcist, but with much younger characters."
1: But I think the issue at the time was like basically Blatty filmed Legion, his mm. book, and then the studios went, "But there's no exorcism." So the last twenty minutes of the film had to be reshot with Nicole yeah, uh, Williamson in it, and Nicole Williamson. Yeah,
0: no, it's Williamson, isn't it? I oh, got confused when he died. Yeah, <laughs> and um, Jason Miller, and Jason Miller. Which, well, we're not going to say it's a spoiler because his name's in the um, oh, no, in no. the credits as and Jason Miller, who obviously was Damien Carris in the um, in the first film. The thing is, yeah, there was that troubled history. They had all those reshoots. I, I'm going to say that I think that kind of adds something. Um, I don't know what you think of that. All right, during the exorcism, there's a point towards the very end of it when the minions of hell kind of appear-ish. They mm. could have been a bit... I can imagine a much worse version of that. Yeah. But I don't think it really detracts from it. I think no, it adds I something. Don't. And specifically the fact that originally the dialogues with Patient X, um, we should probably explain a bit more of the plot. Um, yeah, the Gemini killers modus or people are getting killed and it's very much... It's exactly the way that the Gemini killer was um, killing his victims 15 years earlier. Somebody turns up who's been locked away for 15 years, and it's Brad Dourif. Do I pronounce that right? I always thought okay. it was Brad Durf, we're going, yeah. kind of like Although it's right. intercutting with uh, Jason Miller, and Jason Miller's uh, participation was, was, was in the reshoots, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, what I'm going to say is I like the reshoots, If that's part of the reshoots, I'm going to go with it because I really love the fact that he's in it. I like. I think it's such a weird idea to do in the sequel. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because
1: it's kind of a it's a massive gamble. Yeah, it's really sort of it's putting a lot of faith in your audience. I think Uh, because I knew the they knew the Exorcist was successful,
0: but. They probably thought it was uh, successful as a as an exploitation film on its uh, Well also it's even if even that was a massive box office hit when it came out, but people are gonna remember it as oh yeah, it's the little girl and her head spins round. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily gonna remember who the priest was, or even no. that it was anyone other than Max von Siddow even, you know. Yeah. The fact that the guy who does the sacrifice is this Jason Miller actor, he's not a big actor, is he? Mm. Um the fact is in it, I just think he's brilliant and it's Not just, oh, isn't it great that they've got the actor back, but it really reminded me of um, Lost Highway. It's that kind of confusion of. Because the idea that George C. Scott's character is. Yeah. The fact that George C. Scott's character is the cop is, like you say, at best agnostic, but probably an atheist. Mm. And with this, a lot of those scenes when he's talking to this uh, killer in shadows, when we say killer, patient who's claiming he's the killer in shadows, um, it's not made that blatant I think yeah you know? no, no. really, even though they look totally different you sometimes have to stop and think which one am I which one am I watching now these two actors well, there's a
1: lot of attention to how the sound is as yeah. well because th- there's a change in voice which you're not always aware of and someone will speak with another voice yeah. while you're looking at something and the way it's set as well because whenever he's talking to patient X or uh, you know whoever <laughs> he <laughs> might be is yes. always this like um, Stationary shot, not stationary shot, it's a static shot, yeah. and you have like rays of sunshine coming down onto Scott um, on one side and to X or whoever it is on Who the so other I side think, yeah. in this dark cell. And what I really loved about that was that that varied on the time of the day as well. Like they made the effort to say to show that like time was going on, time was moving as well. It, that There's an exquisite attention to detail in this, which may have been lacking in something like ninth configuration, where you know, budgetary restraints or whatever. But oh, just here, the fact it was his first time out, you know, also, yeah. But, um, and there's something so subjective about that as well, because Jason Miller's character, Damien Carras is always very much from how we're viewing through the eyes of a uh, george c scott's uh policeman because there's one particular scene where um one of his friends is murdered and the camera's subjective and you go through the hospital and everyone's looking at him and stuff and that kind of portrays how you view patient x yeah. as brad durif or as jason miller you know there's there's something really clever at play. It's it's like they've taken a bad situation and made it good. I mean, from a technical filmmaking point of view. Absolutely. And there's other little things as well, like which I really noticed this time because I watched this for the first time about I don't know, seven or eight months ago. Hmm. I really picked up on the fact that George C. Scott always says to his daughter, "It's late." Right. Uh, when he's talking to his wife, oh, where's Jennifer? And he said, "Oh, she's still out with her friends." It's late, and then he says to her it's late and she's one night he's doing some research and she comes in and she just like mopes up to him in sort of shadow and silhouette and you think oh it's a bit like Regan and she says it's late and he says yes yes it's late and this really there's some kind of idea playing into the towards the end of the film about lateness yeah. about not being in time and
0: no absolutely I don't know, i'm not I mean, i'm
1: not trying to be no. too cryptic there but no the, I mean, there's no. so much effort got into how certain scenes work which uh,
0: you you know when it's a good film when you pick up on that kind of thing mm. know, i mean obviously we're both big fans of this film what i've got to ask you is in terms of this coming out as it was a kind of i suppose it was probably presented as a bit of a summer blockbuster <laughs> Opposite Dick Tracy. In fact. Holy shit! Um, <laughs> do you think it succeeds as a horror movie? Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely. mean, it does have some fucking nuts kind of imagery in it, doesn't it? Um, it the dream sequence with Fabio. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm impressed you remember him because he was a big deal around yeah 90, eight, late eighties. So, he was on yeah. Eurotrash a couple of times, I think. Yeah, this kind of you know dream boat hunk. But uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, a weird thing is me because I'm such a big fan of the ninth configuration so much of that imagery kind of bleeds through and that scene that you're talking about it's a dream that George C. Scott's character is having mm. or is it a dream you know yeah. bit, uh, yeah. that question there. but it's angels in a kind of departure lounge but with a, a jazz band going. it's limbo is it it's purgatory yeah. yeah yeah Um but yeah Fabio in there but the angels with the angels wings um, is an image that was going to be at the beginning of the ninth configuration mm-hmm. with them all on the crosses together the other one which I'm not sure if you know is do you remember you you're talking about the rowing at the beginning of it there was the scene with the three helicopters, helicopters. by the sun yeah, yeah which is how ninth configuration was supposed to open yeah, but they didn't yeah. have the budget for it I remember yeah, yeah which kind of closes the film as well and I've, as far as I can tell there's no real reason why there should be three helicopters going over Washington it's a bit you know he has been brought up,
1: you know it's golgotha yeah. and it it's, looks it it's, looks it's, fantastic it's, though yeah yeah but there, there's definitely like theological overtones there isn't there yeah I think um, Trinity yes. etc but, uh, but and also that opening sequence as well like they're for the title sequence where again it's a dream and it's someone with a voice over that repeats the same thing later on like it's a Brad Dourif character who repeats these words but it's a victim who's going to be murdered later on and you just get these very subliminal images of certain characters, and it's just so effect- that makes it a horror film for me. In the same way that for some people, well, for me, things like um, Michael Haneke's films mm. are like horror films. There's a there's a mounting dread yeah, to and, it, and
0: David Lynch ones as well. As well it's, yeah, it's low obviously. on gore, but it's high on just things that really raise the hackles and mm. you know get the get the, the hairs going on the back of your neck. And the, the, there's some jump scares very Um, effective jump scares I've got to say the best jump scare which I'm reluctant to really discuss but it's you know it's a scene where you know you've seen it a million times before someone's going around and you're thinking oh she's about to get killed and it goes on for too long and just when you're thinking this isn't going to go anywhere is it something happens it's and it's brilliantly done,
1: isn't it? I actually made Estelle watch that yes. last night. She was, she was umming and There's was ar-ing. a reality
0: to it. it, <laughs> They're really, it
1: because because you have a, a fake one as well mm. before it. And she jumped at that and she was like, oh. I was like, yeah, that's pretty scary, isn't it? <laughs> Let's what just doing? keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep watching. And yeah, the second one got her bad. Got yes. her bad. <laughs> Um, but that's I mean those are very superficial moments but
0: they they're all part of it they really add to it yeah but the whole the whole film's creating a sense of an ease and just imagery which weirdly I can't think of any other film that does this describes something that makes you think and then you you see it physically manifest later because the the murder victims in this I think we can reveal this because it's such a weird thing have their heads removed but then have a statue of Christ with uh, minstrel makeup put on and it seems, yeah, uh, blasphemous and racist, and also it, it really it's is distressing. Still, yeah, yeah, it it really just sort of ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: because also in that opening sequence is like a, a crucifix whose eyes, the flick eyes pop open, open which and that is a real jolt. Is that like, Yeah.
0: Well, all right. It, I didn't find it that. I was a bit worried about that because I thought that I could imagine seeing that with an audience and not laughing. Yeah. You know? Possibly a bit academic of me to say that because I'm watching it on my own, but yeah, sure, yeah, I can. I can it see reminded it. me a bit of things like Carrie, and
1: no, I think there's there's something about little events that precede mm. that, though. You know, there's like the the reverse smoke on the steps yeah. and stuff because they use the same there's the same similar iconography of uh, or iconology of exorcist, obviously because like, like we mentioned, you know, they they bypassed exorcist heretic too. It, it, Exodus Heretic too, Exodus to the Heretic. It, the born, it has nothing to do attempt. with this, yeah. <laughs> um, which is quite funny because I think the penultimate like Midnight video we had, uh, I think Anthony Nesbitt said yes. that was the worst. <laughs> book. And I've got the book. I bought it. You. I bought oh, the making of it. Like, yeah.
0: um, Scott Wilson, well, very minor role. He's a, he's a doctor at the hospital. But
1: if if anyone's trying to give up cigarettes out there. <laughs>
0: either watch him and like, give up or just go, wow, yeah, that's the way I want to go. He's wonderful in it. It's a, it's a small role, but he's wonderful. You you keep watching. You can't get your eyes off him. He's so watery. He's constantly smoking. And there's a beautiful scene where well, you're wondering what's going on here. I've actually included this by uh, accident.
1: Reciting.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> he's going around with some notes talking about, you know, it he, he, he seems like he's trying to get his, his act together on something. And then eventually when George C. Scott's character, uh, it's Kinderman, isn't it? That, yes. That comes in. Child man. Yeah, uh, he sits down and just recites this whole thing he's done to him as if it was a best man speech at a <laughs> wedding or something. And actually cuts down... Um, there's, a, there's a there's a lovely edit when it shows him then having to consult his notes, which yeah. he's got uh, in, a, in drawer a drawer or something. <laughs> such a bizarre thing to put in, but such a wonderful detail. Because like I say, he's got, a, he's got a small role, but that tells you so much about him.
1: Yeah, it is, it's... Um it's quite funny to watch it the second time because I didn't really clock onto all that the mm. first time it, whenever I watch films it's only films I watch for the podcast that I really pay attention to because i generally one of those people who like to let a film wash over me and then I start making more ideas and get more opinions on it the second time um, but yeah it, his character, this time I knew who he was and I paid a lot more attention to him and it was like wow is it's really it's delicately delicately yes. done though, you yeah. know. There's there's some real
0: effort gone into it. No, he's because great.
1: he d- he. I mean, what's he done between Ninth Configuration and that though?
0: Well, this is thing. We, we 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 tend to uh, imagine actors have no careers if they're not in films. Obviously, they can have they can have great careers on the stage, but we just never know about it. Mm. The only other film other than Ninth Configuration in this I've seen Scott Wilson is is. Junebug is it? Do oh you know that one? yes, yes. Yeah, but he's yeah. much older, and it—it it, it was one of those things when I'd seen his name, That's and 2000s it took me—two thousands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it took me a while. Uh, oh it's only about five years old, right? I think. Yeah, it, it took me a while to recognise that it was him. But he still has that sad look in his eyes, which uh, yeah, he a nice thread going through something
1: over. lugubrious about yeah, is
0: isn't yeah. there? Yeah, um, yeah. Did George C. Scott pull it off for you? Oh absolutely. He That's a like... weird question to ask <laughs> <laughs> he... he yanked it. <laughs> yes. yeah. No, Scott's great in this. Yeah, he he does
1: something that he kind of did in the form there as well, you know. I I suppose he's maybe typecasting that way or he's uh he's got that quality of being flippant but
0: Incredibly emotional at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Even though he's a big bear of a guy, he's like well, that's that's what I'm going to say. Would it have been all right? We're going to say this because we're big fans of the line configuration. Could mm. you have imagined this with more Keech as yeah. uh, that role. Yeah. yeah he's a, he's a bit younger than he would. I think the fact that both of them are quite old guys. In yes. This yeah. Works. But I think
1: because I, I saw Keech in uh, Prison Break, mm. I think that was the last big thing he did. Yeah. Really. And. I was quite saddened by that because he was sort of the wall was pulled over his eyes in that. I was like, no way, Keech wouldn't stand for that. Oh, you wouldn't know. break out of Keech's prison in my
0: life. In Keech, my Keech life. did a lot of crap though, didn't he? Yeah, Mistral's daughter and stuff. I, oh, I, I, I would have loved it. I mean, as, as we record this, uh, Batman Dark Knight Rises hasn't come out yet, which apparently has some parallels with uh dark knight returns i think keach would have been brilliant as bruce wayne (laughs) That uh if anyone knows the comic i'd have thought he'd have been great as the older batman holy shit yeah holy shit i've never heard you say that before yeah that is absolutely perfect you because you need an old old
1: Mm. old person to deliver that kind of stuff but i can also see maybe in that time scott would have been as equal um, to that role no scott's brilliant he um I think what makes it is from the beginning you have this remarkable uh, relationship between him and uh, Ed Flanders and just the patter and the... Well they're
0: completing each other, they're not quite doing the cliche of completing each other's lines but you can tell they, they're they almost like they've got the same, they've got exactly the same sense of humour. Absolutely yeah
1: there's something, you know. a lot of people say Americans don't have irony or don't get sarcasm, these guys are the epitome of that I mean, um, epitome of like using it well yeah. as
0: opposed to like not getting it. I mean, I mean, there's even the the wonderful bit in this when Flanders is explaining to one of his. I keep thinking I'm talking about Ned Flanders. There's a wonderful bit when Flanders is saying, "Oh yeah, it's the anniversary. I've got to go and see my friend Kinderman because he gets very depressed this time of year." And then there's a and separate scene. Did. There's a separate scene <laughs> sometime later. They don't do it immediately. It's like ten fifteen minutes later. He said. I've got to go and cheer up my friend (laughs) (laughs) it's nice that they've both got the the, the balance going on it's
1: fantastic yeah
0: I think think it actually quite works that Jason Miller's in this but amongst the other reshoots is the fact that uh, Nicole Williamson's in this as Father Morning (laughs) delivering this uh, well he just crops up and does the exorcism doesn't he Basically, yeah,
1: there's a little bit before that where you're introduced to the
0: character.
1: You're introduced, but it's much easier
0: to see his as someone who's just been dropped in,
1: possibly six months later. Well, there's a a mention of him, and then it cuts to him. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we're talking about this guy, and then he's here now. Um, That's when it kind of gets a little bit like uh, painting by numbers, I think. The weaker part for me is that linking up Morning's character into the... The whole shebang.
0: It's just that he doesn't seem to have any bearing on the rest of the film. Well, he's got no motivation. I mean, there's
1: talk of motive. there's exposition about that, but yeah. you're not really, you're not with him, mm. I don't think. You're not, he's not Merlin.
0: Well, he's not Merlin. <laughs> I'm going to say he's not even, uh, is it Scatman Crowther's in The Shining, where at least yes. he's, he's very much the same role. He's someone yeah. who's talked about and he is spending the whole film getting towards appearing for the finale. Mm only to, well let's not spoil <laughs> it um, but at least he's kind of integrated in that Scatman crowd this, this really does feel like he's been dropped in through editing and I was quite surprised because I watched the film read about the making of it, then watched it again this morning I'll fast forward, but uh, I think this was, yeah digital effects weren't quite up to this, but he is actually in frame with Scott and other characters you know, other other actors mm. So uh, presumably those re, uh, reshoots were done, you know, with everybody's um, consent. Um, he is good. He does add something to it. I'm not. I don't, I'm not sure I liked it. I don't think those were as bad as people. I think a lot of people make out that that completely kind of buckles the film and they're a terrible addition. Oh. However, I'm not sure what the film would have been like without them at all, you know. I think you need a certain amount of uh, pizzazz. Well yeah, I mean basically I don't this, think it this film you.
1: wouldn't have been allowed to be released without those scenes, I don't think. Because they they wanted the next scene so yeah. was about to be there. Yeah. I was
0: about to say, oh but now in the age of DVD. The thing is I think oh, fan Kermode, code. Kermode's been campaigning for ages for the Blatty Cup, but there's a lot of but uh, lost stuff it. to suggest, yeah, the original yeah. footage isn't around Lionsgate, is it? Is yeah. it Lionsgate?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't Universal? Know yeah, no, but I think Blatty's wife said, no, it's unfortunate that they can't find this. It's
0: been totally lost. So, finally, I mean, I've asked you if this works as a horror film. The, the theological thematic stuff in it, does that work for you, or did it come, did it come across as a little bit um, shoehorned? Uh, no,
1: not really. I mean, I, I like the same theological overtones and of um, Ninth Configuration. I, I, See, I, I don't
0: think they were quite the same. Were, no, no, well, no. Uh, there was, not, there were the not. arguments about. I believe in. I, I'm going to put my faith in this, even though there's nothing, no evidence to support it. Against somebody, saying look at all the terrible things that are happening in the world. By the end of it and we don't want to spoil the ending as usual, but that's that's got a very special bearing, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. But what I like about this is um, Ed Flanders' character, who has this unequivocal faith, belief, I think he has doubts. I think there is that ambiguity in that character, which you have to really look at and search for, but I think it's there. And I think it's actually... Um, um, Kinderman, I think it's George C. Scott's character who has the faith his yeah. faith is his lack of belief that yes. is yeah. absolutely what pinpoints it whereas um, Flanders character has doubts, he is worried about how the world is and I think that's what I really appreciated about it, it's that theological like so called duality but it's not actually, it's just like, it's a polarity you know, there's a yeah.
0: the w- the weird thing is this Again, this film wouldn't get made now. And well, further proof of that is what it's for several years since what was it, Exorcist the Beginning, the Paul Schrader one, which again That's got right cut to yeah. shreds and redone mm. and with Renny uh, Rennie Harlan, wasn't it? Yeah. Have you seen that? I've not seen no either of those. Uh, no. Um Maybe we'll come back with that. Could be interesting. Maybe, maybe. You I say just... you've never actually sat through the whole of Exorcist two. I haven't, no. Are you gonna give it a whiz after this? <laughs> Especially now you've got the making of after the book. <laughs> after the book, <laughs> uh, I've
1: got so much love for Burton. Like, I tried to sit down and watch Exist too after reading uh, Bragg's biography. Uh, Estelle and I sat down and she fell asleep after 20 minutes. And I just, after 30 minutes, I was like, I cannot watch it. I really can't. And you know how people feel about Zardoz? Like, <laughs> I'll watch Zardoz. I can't watch it. The, the mumbo-jumbo that they apply <laughs> to Exodus 2 is is heretical. I think the dead should shut
0: up unless there's something to say. I'm glad we ended on that.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, like we said, there's a cemetery and a... There's all that. I hope also someone
0: sleep. listens to this, then takes it away and re-edits it and maybe in, inserts <laughs> Nicole Williamson <laughs> <laughs> to, to get his opinions on it. Anyway, that really is the end And even though, because uh, we've been recording these for a while I listened back to the first one we did on Phantom of the Paradise Holy And I shit. think at that I did say uh, We don't want to take a six month break <laughs> However, I think we are actually going to be taking a six month break <laughs> in total, aren't we? It does be- look For loud. the happiest of reasons though Because you've got another, another child on the way I have
1: in October, early October I should have a little daughter
0: So about the time this goes out you be, um, You'll be knee deep in nappies
1: yeah, so I'll need at least three months to recover from that shit.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> in all sorts of senses. So, yeah, that really is it. That is it from us for a little while. Um, so, yeah, it should be October when this goes out. Enjoy the rest of the year, but we're going to... by well, good boy Crook. Let's try and get something out by Christmas.
1: Yeah, we'll do our damnedest. Something, yeah. And, you know, we're going to be doing it via Skype and stuff, so, you know, the we'll see how it goes we've got to work that out yeah yeah we're, we're, we're a bit <laughs> unsure
0: <laughs> but yeah that's the end thanks very much for joining us we'll see you again soon hopefully
1: thanks guys bye. okay
0: bye bye What you need to know is is this the, the, first Exodus greatest film ever made. Excess to the heretic, worst film ever made, described by Freaking quite correctly as the product of a demented mind, and he describes it as Excess to the hairy tick.